Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty, and all are welcome here. If you're visiting us for the first time, I want to offer a special welcome to you this morning. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it is in that tradition that I ask you to turn to your left and your right and greet the holy among us this morning. One of our rituals in Unitarian Universalist churches is to begin our service by lighting a chalice together. So please turn to the words for lighting our chalice in your order of service and read them together with me. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Unitarian Universalism is a religion without creed. We draw from all of the world's religious and wisdom sources. There's no set of beliefs that we all have to sign on to and say, that's what I'm going to swear to. So people sometimes ask us, well, then what holds you together? What do you have in common? Well, in this church, we have those five values that you just read with Gail. And out of those values arose our mission statement. We put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. In the night, I dreamt of a world made better by our togetherness, of reaching toward never-before-imagined horizons made knowable and possible only by living in mutuality. I saw distant lands made out like visions of paradise, replenished, remade, through a courage that embraced interdependence. We dwelt in fields of green together, fertile valleys nurtured by trust. We built visions of love and beauty and justice, nourished by partnership, cultivated through solidarity. I dreamt of lush forests thriving with life, oceans teeming with vitality, Mountains stretching towards majesty. Our whole world made whole again. These things we have done together. These things we had brought to pass with each other. These dreams, world imaginings seem possible in the boundless creativity we all know through our unity. I awoke. And still the dream continues. Now is the time in our service where we breathe together. We breathe together. Some of us may pray silently. Some meditate. Some simply intentionally try to go to that deeper place inside. That source of wisdom that spark of the divine within each of us. We breathe together, feeling the energy of one another and breathing together, we enter a moment of sacred silence together.
transformation to pursue the growth that changes our lives and heals our world. Today is the final in a series of worship services on this church's five religious values. And I think it's fitting that transformation is listed as our final value because I think in a way it is a culmination of trying to live out all of those other values. Likewise, our mission statement grew out of the values, and I think it's significant that two of those values ended up getting restated in the mission statement. Community, we gather in community, and transformation, we transform lives. And really, I think that to nourish souls and do justice requires transformation also. Now, here's why I think it's significant that those two values ended up in our mission statement. I believe that transformation, both in our own lives and in our world, is the reason for religious and spiritual community to exist. Joseph Campbell, a scholar of comparative mythology and religion, wrote about what he called the hero's journey. These were mythological tales which he found within all world religions. Now, these Myths and religious stories, of course, were not literally true, but he felt that they still contained metaphorical truths about transforming ourselves and our world. These myths contained a number of commonalities, not all of which we can get into today, but basically, most often, the central character is called from within a community where change is needed and must journey out into a different environment the wilderness, the desert, a mountaintop, the land of his enemies. And there they are tested and challenged. And in this process, they are spiritually transformed and can return to their community of belonging as an agent of continued transformation. Now, in all of these myths, transformation requires struggle. What the preacher at the little Baptist church we went to when I was a kid used to describe in the temptations of the Christ story as trials and tribulations. Transformation always also involves loss as who the hero has been must cease to be in order for transformation to occur, something new to become. It involves sacrifice and serving the needs of others, losing oneself or giving of oneself to something larger. Campbell believed that we are all on a hero's journey of sorts to find our deepest center, to transform ourselves into the person we were born to be. This, he said, is our soul's high adventure. Several summers ago, I spent three months serving as a student chaplain with the Seton Hospital System. During that time, I was called upon to be with parents who had just lost young children, people in the throes of addiction, people who had just gotten a fatal diagnosis, people experiencing some of the most difficult situations we can go through in life. People in that kind of circumstance are in a deep well of despair and grief. Being their chaplain required that I climb down in that well with them, that I dig deeply within myself and find some way to have at least an inkling of what they must be feeling. It required that I feel with them and be able to say, I'm here. I'm with you. 
And those experiences transformed me. Not only did they teach me a lot about what is and is not important in life, they put me back into touch with a range of emotions and ways of being that I hadn't allowed myself for most of my life. They allowed me to reclaim the sensitive young boy I had been born who had been told that such emotions are not appropriate for guys. Now here's something significant about that story. Even though I served many nights alone as the chaplain on call all by myself, even though I was by myself, I always had this intentionally constructed religious community I could call upon and go back to. Our instructors had created that among the student chaplains. And I also, of course, had Wayne and my own church, my friends and family. That's one of the paradoxes about transformation. Growing into our truer, more authentic self ultimately happens through relationships with others and all that is. We go out into the wilderness only to realize more greatly our interconnectedness, which then allows us a more profound sense of our place within that interconnectedness and our own expression of it. Thus transformed, we can go back out into our community and more effectively be an agent for change. This, I think, is the work of the church and our own spiritual quest within it. With our rituals, music, meditations, prayers, storytelling, faith development classes, and all the other intentional ways we try to go down into that deeper, more authentic place, that spark of divinity within each of us, I think that this religious community is particularly well-suited, in fact, again, intended to catalyze our soul's high adventure. Likewise, our rites of passage ceremonies and rituals, memorial services, child dedications, weddings, uh, coming-of-age ceremonies, and all of those others help us to mark and understand more intensely these transformations in our lives. Sometimes we have intentionally sought out these transformative life events. Sometimes they come unexpectedly. That's the thing about transformation. It will come eventually whether we seek it or not. Our choices then are whether we use our agency in seeking it and how we respond when it comes to us spontaneously. In 1991, I was serving as the director of a nonprofit organization that was conducting clinical research studies to try to find new and better treatments for HIV disease and related infections. I got together with the leaders of a bunch of other such organizations nationwide, and we got some funding to send two representatives from each organization to the International Conference on AIDS, which was being held in Florence, Italy that year. Now... One of the funders stipulated that one of the two representatives from each of the organization had to be a physician who was actively enrolling patients and participating in the clinical research studies. So after talking to my board, we made the decision that I would ask one of our most active participating physicians to go with me. And so it came to pass that I ended up inviting a certain Dr. Wayne Bachman to accompany me to Florence, Italy. <laughs> We flew into Rome, rented a car, and drove the rest of the way to Florence. The entire way there, we both talked about our miserable dating experience as how we were just over romance and we're going to go it on our own from now on. 
Now, the hospital back home where Wayne saw patients needing inpatient treatment had offered to obtain lodging for us in Florence. So we get to Florence and discover that the hotel they got us is called The Grand for good reason. Marble floors, Tiffany glass ceiling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We went back several years later and could barely afford to have wine in the lobby of this place. They put us in one room together, a room that was clearly designed for a couple. And then there was this opening reception that evening where everyone kept asking us how long we had been together. And we kept protesting and going, no, 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 we're just friends. And then a week later, after spending a week in Florence together, we had to say, well, now we're a little more than just friends. So we get back home and I look at Wayne and I say, So, I took you to Florence for our first date. What's next? (laughs) Turns out that what was next was 25 years and counting together in a relationship that certainly transformed my life and made me a better person. Love and the transformation it brings, they come unexpectedly sometimes. We found out later that the hospital staff and the folks at my nonprofit organizations had decided long ago that we should be together and had conspired (laughs) together to try to make that happen. (laughs) Joseph Campbell said that our transformations are the ones we are ready for, so maybe those folks knew something Wayne and I didn't, but it, it worked out. Now, so far, I've been mainly talking about individual growth and transformation, so Now I want to talk a minute about growth within an institution, a corporate body, transformation of the church as a religious community. If you accept my premise that the reason the church exists is to create a space within which the seeds of transformation can be cultivated, then it makes sense that the church itself would continually transform in order to be better and better able to live out our mission. Our capital campaign was a giant and very tangible step that this church took that will enable us to literally transform and enlarge our physical space. Doing so will create a welcoming table for growing numbers of folks in Austin seeking a spiritual home that allows for that free and responsible search for their soul's high adventure. Doing so will also transform this religious community itself. Who we are now will undergo a metamorphosis that I believe will move First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin into becoming even more fully the church we were born to be. And yet, as I know our senior minister Meg has already talked about some, like with any of these journeys, it will not be without struggle. Trials and tribulations. I think it's worth reiterating then that to get through these renovations, we will have to transform the ways in which we use the building and go about doing the activities of church for a while. And all of these changes can stress us out. They can raise anxiety levels. So we'll have to try to help each other keep the level of anxiety in our community as a whole as low as we can. Now, in order to do that, I think it's good to know that sometimes our anxiety expresses itself in ways that narrow the focus to something more specific that may or may not seem to be directly related to what the larger and true source of the anxiety is. 
So, for instance, a few months from now, when the sanctuary is torn up for renovation and someone leaves a stack of styrofoam plates on a cabinet in the kitchen and phone calls get made, emails get sent, Facebook posts get posted trying to find out who might be the culprit left that styrofoam here, it might be good for all of us to take a step back and ask ourselves what might really be getting us so wound up. Might it be that what we're truly stressed about is the fact that we're temporarily not able to use the sanctuary? And if we realize that, then we might have a better chance of avoiding all the drama before we find out that it was a construction crew that left the styrofoam plates there anyway. Though I have often thought that if anyone ever asked Unitarian Universalists to articulate our theology of evil, all of our answers would somehow involve styrofoam and invasive plants, (laughs) me included. So how do we take that step back when we're feeling anxious and before we find ourselves posting some screed on Facebook? How do we do that? Well, there are a number of methods, but it turns out that there is one simple way that study after study shows can really, really help when we're feeling anxious. It's just this. Breathe in on a count of four. Hold for a count of four. Breathe out for a count of four. Hold for a count of four. Repeat. Repeat until that anxiety-driven older part of our brain lets go of us and allows us to re-engage the reason-centered parts of our brain. That's it. That's simple. And this works in a lot of other situations too, including with the stress that I bet a lot of us are feeling over the social and political discourse in our country going on about right now. I know Meg has talked about this some also, but I think it's worth continuing to discuss it because I think that at least part of the stress so many of us are feeling is due to the following. The racism and misogyny that have infected our current political campaign, the efforts to suppress voting rights, the laws legalizing discrimination against LGBT people being passed under a false claim of religious freedom, the criminal justice system system destroying the lives of people of color, the efforts to take away women's agency over their own bodies, all of these are related. They are all, in different ways, efforts to maintain a system of straight, white patriarchy. Now, let me quickly add that I have a great deal of affection for many, many white, straight guys, and I'm two-thirds of that formula myself, and a lot of us have felt fight for the rights of others. What we're talking about here is a system of white, straight patriarchy that got set up very early on and became normative. And one characteristic of symptoms is that once set up, they will struggle mightily to continue themselves. And that can help us understand a little more and remember that the folks who are fighting to maintain the system have been taught that that is the way things are supposed to be by that very system itself. We can't see the system sometime when we're way down deep inside of it. And that's part of the reason why people will support such a system even against their own self-interest sometimes. In fact, I would argue that such a system harms even those who are at the top of its hierarchy by limiting the fullness of their humanity. Like when I found out that the definition of maleness I had been taught was keeping me from fully experiencing life. Knowing this we may be able to start from a place of greater empathy and curiosity 
when we engage those with whom we disagree. And I do think that we must engage them. As one of the professors at my seminary said, like it or not, our religious values will be lived or not in the public and political arena. Those other voices will be there. So ours are needed for the transformation that heals our worlds and liberates all of us to have a chance. But once again, sometimes our most effective voices are our non-anxious voices. When we do what's called self-differentiation, which means we very calmly state our own values and convictions in the calmest, non-personal way as possible. By doing so, we may be able to lower the anxiety in the system itself at least a little. And if little by little the anxiety in the system gets lowered enough, more and more people within that system will begin to be able to see the system itself. And that's when transformation really becomes possible. So... When that friend or family member that you disagree with politically includes you on a mass email or a Facebook post that has your face turning red and steam coming out of your ears, try to remember our breathing exercise before you send that scathing response and then, you know, block them. (laughs) Breathe in on a count of four. Hold for a count of four. Breathe out on a count of four. Hold. For a count of four. Repeat until the steam stops coming out of your ears. Let's practice that together. I invite you to breathe with me. Breathe in, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Breathe out, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Breathe in, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Breathe out, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Feels pretty good, doesn't it? Let's try remembering to do that a lot together over the next months as together we each continue our soul's high adventure. Please join me in the words for extinguishing our chalice which are printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Transcendence, community, compassion, courage, transformation. May you carry these, our church's religious values, with you today. As you go back out into the world, may they nourish your soul and provide the foundation for fully living into the person you were born to be. Go in peace. Go with love. Amen and blessed be.
This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.